अखंडम सच्चिदानंदम अवांगमनसगोचरम आत्मानम अखिलाधारम I take refuge in the self, the indivisible, the existence, consciousness, bliss, absolute, beyond the reach of words and thought, and the substratum of all for the attainment of my cherished desire. So in Vedanta Sara, we were on text number 131. This is the school of the Shunyavadins the uh, Madhyamaka school of Buddhists. Remember the context where the question was, who am I? And using that que uh, question, using the sort of the pretext, uh, using it as a pretext, we are taking a quick survey of different schools of Indian philosophy. Uh, what are their views on the self? And uh, remember each one of them is presenting um, an argument for their view. What is the view of the self? What is the self? an argument for this uh, for their view um, uh, an experience which shows that we experience the self in the way they are seeing it and finally uh, some relevant support from the Upanishads so this we have seen for all the different schools and finally before we come to the Advaita Vedanta the hero of the whole drama we have got the the last one is the Shunyavadins the emptiness people the uh, the Buddhist school of Madhyamaka Shunyavada. And I, as I'd said, just like I did for the mind only school, I'll stop here and take a little uh, detour and go into some depth and explore this school a little bit because it's very fascinating. And in some ways, it's um, like a mirror image, like a twin of Advaita Vedanta in some ways. So it's good to take a look. And I also have a personal fascination for it. But by the way, you don't need to do this. Actually, when you teach this text, one does not go into such depth. If, if you did, did do that, you could have done that for every school. Each one of the schools which we um, happily swept past, they have very ancient histories, a huge amount of literature, a lot of interactions with other schools, many masters. So we just overlooked all of that. But this I'm stopping uh, personal fascination. But also because many people, who know a little bit about this school, they find it very intriguing how similar it is to Advaita Vedanta. That's why we are stopping for a while. Um, today also, I have prepared a short presentation for which I shall share the screen. And I'll talk for a while, present on information dump, whatever I, wanted, I want to say, I'll say to you. And then you can ask questions. And as I go on saying, in fact, that will be a good idea. As I go on saying these things, do keep writing comments, observations, uh, questions in the chat. Um, so let me start. Let me share the screen. The name is Shunyavada Buddhism. Shunyavada, Shunya means empty or in Sanskrit just means zero or nihil, nothing. And Vada is a view or a school, the school of emptiness. One of the schools of Mahayana Buddhism, which is a philosophical school. And we know from last time, the four major schools were the Sautrantika, Vaibhashika, the Yogachara Vigyanavada, which we did two classes back, and the Madhyamaka Shunyavada, which we're going to do, take a look at today. So the central figure here is Nagarjuna, who lived in 
the region of Andhra in India. He lived about 2000 years ago in the first century CE, about 500 years after the Buddha himself. It's so important in, in Buddhist philosophy, at least, that he's called the second Buddha. Um, his main texts, his main works, he, many works are attributed to him, but mainly there is the Mula Madhyamaka Karika, which is very, very important. It is probably the central work of Mahayana Buddhist philosophy. In fact, all of, I can say that, that all of Tibetan Buddhism, the central philosophical work, there are other works, there are tantric works and many other kinds of works, but the central philosophical work is the Mula Madhyamaka Karika of Nagarjuna. Um, most of the tradition of uh, Tibetan Buddhism is, uh, philosophically speaking, a development of the Mula Madhyamaka Karika. So this is one of the texts. This is the central text I'll talk about today. And in fact, this is also why the school is also known as Madhyamaka school. The Mula Madhyamaka Karika in English would translate into the root verses of the middle way. Mula, root, Karika, verses, Madhyamaka, the middle way root verses of the middle way. This is also why the school itself is known as Shunyavada or, or Madhyamaka. The school is called Madhyamaka and the followers are called Madhyamika. Um, another text which is important is a much shorter text by Nagarjuna called Vigraha Vyavartini. The Vigraha Vyavartini here, um, it, it translates as the dispeller of disputes. Dispeller of disputes. Um, the Mula Madhyamaka Karika is, is basically an attack on all other Buddhist schools. In fact, in, in one sense, it's an attack on all philosophies. The Vigraha Vyavartini is a shorter text and it's an attack on the Nyaya school of Hinduism. The Suhir Leka, uh, this is a shorter text, which is, it translates as letter from a well-wisher. So it's basically about ethics. It's a counsel to a king. And there's another text called Ratnavali, which is a mixture of ethics and philosophy. Anyway, we will concentrate on the two main texts, which is Mula Madhyamaka Karika and the shorter Vigraha Vyavartini to get an idea of what Nagarjuna was and what he did. Um, okay, so a little personal introduction here. Uh, about um, 20 years ago, I was a novice in the training center for monastic novices in Belurmat. And browsing through the library, I came across Nagarjuna. I'd never heard of him earlier. I'd, I had no idea about what he was or what he had done. And I came across the Mula Madhyamaka Karika with an English translation and the Vigraha Vyavartini with an English, uh, also with an English translation. And I was fascinated. And I thought this, is, this seems so similar to Advaita Vedanta, but what does it mean? It, it's also very difficult. As we shall see today, after going through all of it, we'll still be puzzled about what Nagarjuna wanted to say. So I was uh, puzzled and uh, I didn't know whom to turn to. So there was this one monk in Belurmat, one of the wisest people I, I have known and one of the few people I personally considered to, you know, who I personally met to be enlightened. Um, so he's, he's a very old Swami. Um, his name was Swami Mokshadanandaji, Ram Maharaj. He passed away several years ago. Um, he was not only spiritually very advanced, but he was uh, very well trained in traditional knowledge in, in philosophy. So I thought I'll ask him. I used to turn to him with all the, what I thought were the most difficult questions. You know, in my, um, uh, in my immaturity, I thought nobody else can answer these questions. So I should go to him only. So I, I went to him and uh, he was 
can you can picture him he looked a little bit like einstein you know with frizzy white hair and uh, with uh, twinkling eyes uh, he was ill uh, most of the time in those days i mean uh, he used to take oxygen about 7 8 hours in a day but i never saw him complain never saw him in a bad mood he was always with a twinkling eye and a smile very affectionate very profound i mean the few things he has ever said to me i remember till today so i went to him with this question this is one of the times i went to him with a question the question about what did nagarjuna mean and how is it similar to advaita vedanta or is it different so i went and asked him and with him you had to ask the question and then he would think and you had to keep quiet not interrupt him he would give you an answer which probably nobody else will be able to give you so he said uh, that many many years ago i was in vrindavan he he was in vrindavan so i was in vrindavan and in our ashram there and we used to study under a scholar and there was a young man who was doing his phd um in the university of alabad he used to come also and uh, this young man he his phd thesis was this subject you are asking about the relationship between advaita vedanta and shunyavada of nagarjuna um so Uh, and finally it was published i think from the university of kalavad and this young man's name was chandradhar sharma so that's all he told me and uh, then i i went on a search chandradhar sharma it turned out became a major uh, philosopher of post independence india later on and uh, i found textbooks on indian philosophy by chandradhar sharma including chapters on nagarjuna where i think he had incorporated what he had written in that thesis which he was writing when ram maharaj met him so that was um uh, 70 years ago 70 75 years ago and thanks to modern technology and an internet archive i actually found the thesis yesterday the original thesis i mean the contents of that are already available in the textbooks with textbooks written by chandradhar sharma later on but the original thesis of chandradhar sharma it's available on the net so i found it yesterday and i will quote to you few portions from it uh, where he nicely summarizes nagarjuna's mula madhyamaka karika and then we'll take a quick look at vigraha vyavartini i had no idea that uh, this thing which i found so fascinating 20 years ago that 20 years later in america in harvard university i would be studying the same texts the mula madhyamaka karika i we did a full course on the commentaries the sanskrit and tibetan commentaries to the mula madhyamaka karika and uh, i myself have four five translations of the mula madhyamaka karika right now and also the vigraha vyavartini so i did two courses on this one by professor garfield on indo tibetan madhyamaka and another by professor parimal patil on um, classical buddhist philosophy classical indian buddhist philosophy so here we go nagarjuna so this is one of the translations of the mula madhyamaka karika the most modern one but there are others also so it's called nagarjuna's middle way now let me start with nagarjuna's mangalacharan mangalacharan is the invocatory verse just like we did now akandam satchidanandam so listen to what nagarjuna how he starts this book remember his central philosophy of buddhism this one so he starts the book by mangalacharan anirodham manutpadam अनुच्छेदम अशाश्वतम अनेकार्थम अनानार्थम अनागमम अनिर्गमम 
ಯತೀತ್ಯಸಮುತ್ಪಾದಂ ಪ್ರಪಂಚೋಪಶಮ ಶಿವ ಉಪನಿಷತ್ ಪ್ರಪಂಚೋಪಶಮ ಶಿವ ಮಂತ್ರ ಆಫ್ ದಿ ಮಾಂಡುಕ್ಯ ಉಪನಿಷತ್ ದಿಸ್ ಎಕ್ಸಾಕ್ಟ್ ಲ್ಯಾಂಗ್ವೇಜ್ ಇಸ್ ದೇರ್ ಏಕಾತ್ಮ ಪ್ರತ್ಯಯ ಸಾರಂ ಪ್ರಪಂಚೋಪಶಮ ಶಿವಂ ಅದ್ವೈತ ಚತುರ್ಥಂ ಮನ್ಯಂತೆ ಸ ಆತ್ಮ ಸ ವಿಜ್ಞೇಯ ಸೇಮ್ ವರ್ಡ್ಸ್ ಆರ್ ದೇರ್ ಪ್ರಪಂಚೋಪಶಮ ಶಿವಂ ಅಂಡ್ ನಾಟ್ ಓನ್ಲಿ ದಟ್ ಇಫ್ ಯು ಸಿ ನಾಗಾರ್ಜುನ ಎಗೇನ್ ಗೌಡಪಾದ ಯು ವಿಲ್ ಬಿ ರಿಮೈಂಡೆಡ್ ಆಫ್ ಗೌಡಪಾದ ಆಕ್ಚುಲಿ ಇಫ್ ಯು ರೀಡ್ ಗೌಡಪಾದ ಯು ವಿಲ್ ಬಿ ರಿಮೈಂಡೆಡ್ ಆಫ್ ನಾಗಾರ್ಜುನ ಬಿಕಾಸ್ ನಾಗಾರ್ಜುನ ಕೇಮ್ ಅಬೌಟ್ ಫೈವ್ ಹಂಡ್ರೆಡ್ ಇಯರ್ಸ್ ಬಿಫೋರ್ ಗೌಡಪಾದ look at the first words anirodham anutpadam that neither cessation nor creation and again it reminds you of gaudapada's most stunning verse in the whole mandukya karika gaudapada's most stunning verse nanirodham nachot nanirodham nachotpadam nabaddho nacha mumukshu na ನಾಗಾರ್ಜುನ್ the ultimate truth is not something that can ever come to an end not something that ever begins um, just like godapada said nanirodham nachotpadam then he says um, anuchchedam ashashvatam it is not nothing nor is it an eternal thing the ultimate reality and then is it one reality is it is singular he says this uh, uh, ekartham no anekartham it is not one so is it many he says no it is not many also and then is it something that comes and goes he says no it is not something that comes it is uh, there is no coming or no going ultimately uh, ultimately speaking so from the ultimate point of view which buddha has taught these eight negations they characterize the ultimate teaching of the buddha anirodham anutpadam anuchchedam ashashvatam anekartham ಇಂಟ್ರೊಡಕ್ಷನ್ mula madhyamaka karika and what is the mula madhyamaka karika what does it consist of he uses his formidable logic to demolish all these concepts there are 27 chapters and in these 27 chapters in this book what nagarjuna has done is he has destroyed the concepts of causality cause and effect that there is an external reality no that there are jivas sentient beings like us no 
that there is something called matter itself no even something as simple as motion movement no time space shunya shunya they are all, all empty all right fine but at least you are a buddhist so what about buddha buddha is also shunya there is no such thing as a buddha what about the four noble truths you know dukkha and nirvana and no they are that's also shunya what about nirvana the goal of buddhism shunya what about bondage and liberation bandha and moksha your nirvana the freedom from suffering shunya karma that the most central thing to all indian philosophies that's also shunya empty now what is this emptiness uh, i will quote from the thesis of uh, chandradhar sharma um, to show how he attacks these concepts all these concepts how they are attacked and demolished very quick summary i'll quickly read through certain portions and explain as i go along um so you can keep see, seeing this i will just read out nagarjuna opens his work by boldly proclaiming the doctrine of no origination never and nowhere can anything be produced stunning claims nothing can ever be produced a thing can originate neither out of itself nor out of a not self nor out of both nor out of neither this you will again keep coming and again and again in nagarjuna his arguments have a structure structure is called tetralemma the fourfold chatushpad that means the four options there are four options in every problem and he denies all four for example is there atma suppose you say so what are the four options possible yes there is atma asti or there is no atma nasti or it is both there and not there in some somehow atma is there and is not there and the fourth one is atma is neither there nor not there so is is not both is and is not neither is nor is not so these are the four options and nagarjuna denies all four is it true that the atma is there he will say no is it true that atma is not there then he will say no is it true that then atma is both there and not there no then it is neither there neither not there no not even that then what is what are you teaching this is chatushkoti vinirmukta tattvam i am teaching you the truth which is free of the four alternatives these four alternatives are called tetralemma so again you can see right here when he says a thing can neither originate from itself nor from a not self nor out of both nor out of neither why not i mean you making all these big claims can you give some reasoning so a thing cannot arise out of itself cause from the cause comes the effect cause means like seed effect means like plant now is the plant going to come out of what will the plant come out of will it come out of itself a thing cannot come out of itself because if the effect is already existing in its cause it is already an existing fact does not require any production a thing can cannot come out of itself means a plant cannot come out of the plant itself because then what what would come out it's already there but if the effect does not exist in its cause if the effect and the cause are totally different then what will relate them as effect and cause if the effect does not exist in its cause nothing can produce it so uh, if the mango uh, plant does not come out of a mango seed there is no connection uh, then it can come out of an apple seed also no there must be some connection between cause and effect and yet the cause and effect cannot be the same thing this is again and again anagarjuna will use this this technique is a thing can neither be identical to itself not distinct totally distinct from itself this argument he will use if a thing cannot arise out of itself 
how can it arise out of a not self again if you say a thing can arise out of both itself and not self is to maintain that light and darkness can remain together impossible and nothing can arise at random and be uncaused so these are four uh, alternatives and he dismisses them what is he dismissing here the whole concept of causality very important concept to make sense of the world all reasoning all science it all depends on causal arguments this causes that this is the effect and that is the cause he says it cannot happen um let me give another uh, example which uh, from nagarjuna in the second chapter he talks about motion is impossible by this i mean something very simple we are walking along a path nagarjuna says that is impossible how motion is impossible we are we cannot travel a path which has already been traveled nor can we travel a path which is not yet traveled and a path which has neither been traveled nor yet to be traveled is also not being traveled the mover does not move the non mover of course does not move what is the third then which is neither a mover nor a non mover which can move hence mover motion and destination all are unreal what does he mean by this um you have to think about it in terms of for example the way the philosophers thought in those days so movement walking suppose something as simple as walking gamanam walking it's an action so the action must be happening somewhere there must be a location for it there must be somebody who is doing the moving and somewhere the moving is happening so for example there's a man who is walking on a path that's a simple idea nagarjuna attacks this very simple idea itself he says you seeing that action the walking is happening on the path on which path is the walking happening it cannot be the path on which has already been walked over so now walking is going on so the walk the path which has already been covered on that walking is not happening because that's done the path which is yet to be covered on that walking is not happening because that has not yet started and then what about there's no path right now in this particular instant in one instant there can be no walking there because the entire path is divided into what is gone and what is yet to come similarly he says where is the activity of of moving um who is moving if you ask then uh, nagarjuna is saying or let's 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 use the word walking who is walking is the walker walking or is the non walker walking the one who is not non walker means the one who is not walking is that one walking you cannot call it that because that person is a non walker is not walking we'll obvi- reply obviously the walker is walking but remember the way the nayayikas for example understood these things what is walking walking is an activity it must stay in a substance in a karma must be in a dravya so there must be an some kind of uh, real entity which is performing that activity so there is an activity there is an entity who is the walker and the activity is walking so the walking is in the walker but Na- nagarjuna says what is a walker walker is a person with the quality of walking according to your definition you define a walker as a man who is walking now if you say the walker is walking is he walking two times is it a very interesting thing he's doing walker means man with the quality of walking now if you add one more that the walker is walking then one more activity of walking comes to be attributed to that man who has already got the quality of walking 
So Nagarjuna says, Tarhi dvigamanam syat. You have to walk twice then. And he says, apart from the walker and apart from the non-walker, there is no third one who will be walking. So neither walking, no, um, not, neither the walker nor the non-walker is walking. There is no third person apart from the walker. There is which, where is the walking going on? Not in the path which has already been walked upon. Not in the path which is yet to be walked upon. And there is no other alternative. Hence, this whole question of motion does not make sense. <laughs> Similarly, seer, seen and sight are also unreal. Body, mind are also unreal. Remember, he uses the Buddhist terms, skandha, pancha skandha. So, rupa skandha means physical body is unreal. If, if the body exists, it can have no cause because it's already existing. And if it does not exist, then too it can have no cause because a non-entity, non-existent thing does not require a cause. And uncaused matter is impossible. So matter or body is impossible. Similarly, Vedana skanda, the feelings, um, conception, Sangya skanda, the past impressions, Samskara skanda, and the individual awareness which we have, Vijnana skanda, they are all unreal. The elements which constitute the body, earth, water, fire, air, and space, they are all unreal, Shunya. Um, and he, he um, goes on, individual self is also unreal, the jiva, which we are. It is neither identical with, nor different from the five skandhas. What he means here is, body-mind. Now, if you say, I am an individual being, jiva, Nagarjuna is asking you, which one are you? Are you this body-mind complex? If you say, I am the body-mind complex, then by jiva you mean body-mind complex. Why don't you say, I am a body? Why are you saying, I am a jiva? It is like saying, bicycle. Yeah. Um, th there is a bicycle. Now, which is the bicycle? Is it the parts or is it something apart from the parts? If you see the parts of the bicycle, there is no bicycle in the parts. There is an axle, there is a wheel, there is a handle, there is a seat, but there is no bicycle there. And if you say, no, 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 it's not the parts, then apart from the parts, is there a bicycle? Of course not. Similarly, the body-mind complex, where is the jiva here? Is the belly the jiva, the head of the jiva, or all the parts put together, is it the jiva? Apart from the body-mind, can you find a jiva? No. So there is no such um, jiva at all. If the ego, ahankara, be the same as the body-mind, then it too, like them, will be subject to birth and death. If the ego is different from the body-mind, it cannot be known. Where is the ego apart from body-mind? When the eye and mind cease to function, the entire structure of the universe, subjective as well as objective, crumbles to the ground. The skandhas or body-mind no more operate. Buddha said, universe is beginningless and endless. And it is an accepted um, principle of logic, Nagarjuna says, that if a thing does not exist in the beginning and in the end, it cannot exist in the middle also. Hence, beginning, middle and end, birth, persistence and death, Srishti, Sriti, Pralaya, are all equally shunya, empty, unreal. Not only the universe is beginningless, but all the objects which we experience are equally beginningless and hence middleless and endless. Change too is impossible. Same logic you can apply. Which is changing? Is the changeless changing? Impossible, because by the very nature of the changeless is not changing. If the, or is the changing thing changing? Then it will be changing twice. And apart from the unchanging and the changing, there is no third thing. What is changing then? 
If the changeless does not exist, then what is it that changes? And if a thing is changeless, how can it change? And if reality does not exist, then what is it that appears? And if it is reality, then how can it be an appearance? You say, then are you saying it? there is no reality at all? Nagarjuna says, I'm not saying that. Look, something is appearing. Here is this world. Then you say, oh, so the reality is appearing. But then if it is reality, how can it appear? Appearance means not real. Then he says, the subject and object and the subject-object relation are unreal. Action and its result are also unreal. If action really exists, it will be eternal and action less unchanging. Then all the phenomenal practices will collapse. Suffering, action, bodies, doers and results, that means karma, are all unreal. They are like an illusion, a magic city, a dream, a mirage. Time is also unreal because past, present and future are all relative. Even the Buddha is only an illusion. He is neither identical with nor different from the body-mind of the Buddha. The Buddha is also Shunya. We cannot say whether the Buddha exists or does not exist or does both or neither, either after Nirvana or before Nirvana during his lifetime. The four noble truths are also unreal. There is neither suffering, nor its cause, nor its cessation, nor the way towards it, uh, of its cessation. You know, Dukkha, um, Trishna, Nirvana, and then the Dharma. All of them, he says, they are all empty. The three jewels in Buddhism, Buddham Sharanam Gachami, Dharmam Sharanam Gachami, Sangham Sharanam Gachami. I take refuge in the Buddha, in the Dharma, and in the, uh, the monastic order of the Buddha. Three jewels. He says, the three jewels are also empty. There is neither the Sangha, nor the Dhamma, nor the Buddha. Nirvana itself is an illusion. Bandha and Moksha are relative and therefore unreal. Neither the samskaras nor the ego can either be bound or liberated. See the mind. Atma, even in Vedanta, if you, the, Nagarjuna will ask, does the Atma require uh, liberation? No. Can the Atma actually ultimately be in bondage? No. Can the mind be liberated? No. The mind is just an appearance within Maya. It can never be liberated. Can the body be liberated? No. If the body and mind cannot be liberated, what is the point of saying that they are in bondage? And they are just um, you know, appearances in Maya. So there is really no bondage, really no liberation. Neither is there this body-mind, nor that which is not the body-mind that can be bound or liberated. Neither that which is bound, nor that which is unbound, nor that which is both, nor that which is neither, can be either bound or liberated. He who thinks, Nagarjuna says, he who thinks, transcending the body-mind, I shall obtain liberation, is still entangled in the terrible clutches of the body-mind. There is no bondage and no liberation, both are relative and hence unreal. When samsara is not destroyed, nirvana is not attained, why should samsara and nirvana be at all imagined? So he goes on like this. If nirvana can be, cannot, be exist, cannot be existing, because then like all other existing things, it will be subject to birth and death. Nirvana cannot begin and end. If nirvana starts, and then something that starts will end. Then what is the point of that nirvana? Moksha. We always say moksha is eternal. But then if moksha is eternal... It cannot start also. If it starts, it will come to an end. If it does not start, 
then you have to admit that moksha is either always there or never there. And then it will also have moksha or nirvana will have a cause and it will be based on the body and mind like all other things. Nirvana cannot be non-existent too. For then it will not be independent as non-existence necessarily depends on existence. Nirvana cannot be both existence and non-existence together because the very concept is absurd and self-contradictory. Existence and non-existence are absolutely opposed like light and darkness. How can they simultaneously exist together? And then the fourth alternative, nirvana cannot be neither existence nor non-existence for it is inconceivable. You cannot think of such a thing. So, um, if, so nirvana is only an appearance, not a reality and so on. It goes on like this. This is a quick survey of Nagarjuna's Mula Madhyamaka Karika, where the central thesis is Sarvam Shunyam. Everything is empty. Everything is empty. Sarvam Shunyam. Nothing has intrinsic existence. Now, in the other small book, Vigraha Vyavartini, Nagarjuna trains his logic on the Nyaya school, which was the other big school in his time. Uh, which is a Hindu school, one of the six schools of Hindu philosophy. Wait, let me see. So the Nayaikas, they attack Nagarjuna. They are saying, Sarvam Shunyam, everything is empty. How do you know? That is their question. See, the, the Nyaya school is a school based on Pramana Pramaya. Pramana Pramaya means that... Um, to claim anything, you must show how it is established. Pramana. What is the pramana for it? Prameya means the things to be known. So Atma, Brahma, Samsara, uh, Rupa, Rasa, Gandha, all of these things are prameya, things to be known. And you must say how you know these things. So how you know is called pramana. In, I have translated this as epistemic instrument. A fancy term for pramana. Pramana means like Eyes are pramana. This is chakshusha, pratyaksha pramana, direct perception. Ears are pramana, by which we uh, experience uh, sound. Eyes are pramana, by which we experience form. Um, tongue is pramana, by which we experience taste. The skin is pramana, <coughs> we experience touch. And there are other pramanas. Anumana, which is inference. Um, the Hindus accept the shruti, the Upanishads as pramana. So there are different kinds of pramanas. Now, the Nayaikas say that to make any claim, you must say how you know this. If you say Atma exists, Brahma exists, we can, we can prove it. I say that the Upanishad says so. I can give you some argument for it. Notice all these different schools which we are discussing. All of them, they gave some argument. They gave some Anubhava experience. Then they gave some quotation from the Shruti. So now the Nayaika is asking Nagarjuna, wait a minute, all these crazy things you are saying, how do you know all things are empty? By what pramana? If you say that I know it without any pramana, then you can, we will not take you seriously. Without any pramana, one can say anything. And if you say I know it by a pramana, then at least one thing you have to say is non-empty. That is the pramana itself. By which pramana did you know that everything is shunyam? If you say that, I know by some pramana, I know that everything is shunyam, then that pramana cannot be shunyam. If that pramana also is shunyam, then what it reveals is also um, is worthless. Uh, 
So if that epistemic instrument exists, then you have to admit, oh Nagarjuna, there is at least one thing which is not Shunya, and that is that Pramana. And then your claim, everything is Shunya, becomes false. So this is the Nyaya counterattack against Nagarjuna. The basic question is, how do you know? Everything is Shunyam, how do you know? That by which you know must be not must not be Shunyam. Then your claim is that um, all things are Shunyam is not to be accepted. Nagarjuna's counterattack. This is you see in Vigraha Vyavartini. These texts were originally lost in India, actually, uh, after the destruction of Nalanda University, but they were all preserved in Tibet. And they were translated by Tibetan lamas from Sanskrit into Tibetan language. And later, they were translated back. The original Sanskrit was reconstructed and translated into English and other languages. I saw uh, in the first book I came across, Vigraha Vyavartini in the training center in Belurmat, was published from you know, Vidushekar Bhattacharya, the um, great scholar, Rabindranath Tagore. He saw the importance of this. So he established an institute for uh, Tibetan Buddhist studies in Shantiniketan. And he got some top scholars there to, to learn Tibetan and translate from Tibetan back into Sanskrit, into English, into Bengali. So one of those books. And it's very interesting when you see these books, Vigraha Vyavartini, the first part is the English translation. Then you, they will give you the Sanskrit. And then they will give you behind that is the Tibetan. From, and the original Sanskrit, of course, is now lost. Now, Nagarjuna counterattacks. Remember the Nayaika attack. By what pramana do you know, O Nagarjuna? Everything is Shunya. Nagarjuna's counterattack is this. Nagarjuna attacks the entire Nyaya philosophy. What is the Nyaya philosophy? The basic idea is you know things only by pramana. Pramana prameya. By the instrument of knowledge, by epistemic instruments, you know the things about the world. Nagarjuna asks, so by pramana you know things, right? The Nayaika says yes. How do you know the pramanas themselves? See, Nagarjuna, <laughs> very interesting attack. He says, all things are known by pramana. Very good. How are the pramanas known? Now, what are the alternative answers the Nayaikas can give? One answer is, the pramanas are established by themselves. One pramana establishes the other. Or, the pramanas are self-established. These are different alternatives. I will show you how it does not work. Nagarjuna's answer to that. If one pramana is established by another pramana, you can immediately see what will be Nagarjuna's answer to that. If pramana X is established by pramana Y, then he will ask, what is pramana Y established by? Then you require one more pramana. And for that, you require one more pramana. This is called infinite regress. In Sanskrit, anavastha dosha. You will never get to an answer, an end to this chain. So that is not possible. That pramana is established by another pramana. Then the Nayaika changes the track. He says, no, no, no. Pramanas are established by themselves. How? Well, like fire. Fire shines and it reveals the pot which was in darkness. But the fire reveals itself also. The fire illuminates the pot and the fire illuminates itself. Notice, this is similar to the consciousness um, arguments which we later, Advaita Vedantins will use. Nagarjuna rejects it completely. What is, what is the Nayaika answer? That Pramanas establish themselves like fire illumines a pot and fire does not require one more fire to illuminate. Fire illumines itself also. Nagarjuna says no. Illumining something 
what is illumination prakasha what is illumination something was in darkness then you brought the fire and the fire removed the darkness and illumined the pot was the fire ever in darkness fire illumines the pot correct but the fire itself was it ever in darkness this destruction of darkness removal of darkness is called illumination so if the fire was itself never in darkness how can you say the fire illumined itself do you see the the, the subtle uh, point nagarjuna is making another thing nagarjuna says this this is called self reflexivity a thing will operate upon itself this is it is impossible knife cannot cut itself fire cannot burn itself you're saying the fire operates upon itself the fire illumines other things and fire illuminates itself the property of the fire is the function of the fire is to illumine but um, fire also has another property burning so does the fire burn itself fire can burn other things it does not burn itself similarly fire illumines other things it does not illumine itself at least not in the way it illumines everything else um so self reflexivity is rejected by nagarjuna then the nayaika uses another approach he says the epistemic instruments pramanas are established in relation to their objects our knowledge of the pramanas and our knowledge of the objects are mutually dependent so the eyes reveal the objects and the objects reveal the eyes this is nayaika trying to wriggle out of a difficult situation so um the pramanas will reveal their objects and the objects by that the pramanas themselves are also revealed because of the objects so nagarjuna he says that this is absolutely silly uh, he says if the pramanas are uh, the are self revealing or if they you know the if the epistemic instruments need epistemic objects then they are not self established if um, uh, you know fire reveals the pot the pot re- needs the fire to reveal the pot and if the fire needs the pot to reveal itself then they are not self established if there is um it leads to serious complication for nyaya because if the pramanas are in any way dependent on their objects then how can they establish their objects the pramanas which are supposed to establish others have now become objects which are the ones to be established and the objects have become instruments what nagarjuna is saying here is this o nayaika now you are trying to say that the instrument of knowledge establishes its object and by that the object also establishes the instrument of knowledge mutually but remember how you had started earlier you had started that the instrument of knowledge pramana is necessary to establish prameya but if pramana is establishing prameya and the prameya is establishing pra- pramana then which is the pramana and which is the prameya uh, now you have mixed up the definitions the whole pramana prameya system will collapse if you say that um, you know the father son um, nagarjuna says that when father produces a son in like that you are saying the pramana will produce knowledge nagarjuna asks son is produced by father but isn't it also true that the father is produced by the son because the father becomes a father when the son is born before that he cannot be called a father so he says if the um, so for someone is a father only with respect to their children in that case who is producing whom further both being producers 
father produces son and the son makes the father a father, then both are fathers. And both being produced, both are sons. Epis this pramana and their objects become like this. Which is the pramana and which is the prameya? Which is the instrument? Which is the object? Which one is the pramana? Which one is the vishaya? If both are complicit in their mutual status as instrument and object. So what Nagarajuna is doing, he is not actually denying that fathers have sons or the fire is illumining a pot, but he is attacking the nyaya picture, the realist picture of, of the world, the philosophy of nyaya is he is attacking. He says, your picture does not make sense. He says, shunyata sarva drishtinam. All philosophies are empty and so on. Now, basically, what are Nagarjuna's methods? Very quickly, we'll see. If you see Mula Madhyamaka Karika, if you see Vigraha Vyavartini, he uses the range of subtle logical techniques to demolish the views of others. Basically, the techniques are like this. Five basic techniques are there. One is infinite regress, which we just saw. Pramanas establish the Pramayas. Nagarjuna asks, what establishes the Pramanas? Another pramana is required to establish this pramana. Then you go further and further back and infinite regress happens. This is illogical. Then you will never get an explanation. This is one technique. Second technique is neither identical nor distinct. Remember how he attacked the idea of cause and effect. So is the, cause, is the effect different from the cause or same as the uh, cause? Is the plant different from the seed or the same as the seed? If the plant and the seed are completely distinct, then the seed of, um, of, an, of an apple could produce an orange tree. But if they're not distinct, if they're in some way the same, then why should the seed produce a plant? The plant is already existing then, uh, because it, they are identical. Not only that, more deadly logical consequence will, will be there. If cause and effect are identical, then the cause becomes the effect. And the cause becomes its own effect and effect becomes its own cause then, if they are one and the same thing. Another logical technique um, Nagarjuna uses three times, past, present, and future. So he shows something is not possible in the past, something is not possible in the, in the future, and the present, he says, it's the vanishing instant, one, um, you know, like one instant of time. So that it is not possible in the present. Like walking, he used the example of walking. Where is the walking going on? It cannot be in the path which has been traversed in the past because that's already gone. It cannot be on the path which is yet to be covered because that has not started yet. And this instant, there can be no walking because it's one instant in the present. So walking is not going on in past, present and future. Where is walking going on? Similarly uses the same thing for different kinds of activity or different cases. So uses time to attack um, various concepts. Then irreflexivity, like we saw the fire illumination. So when Advaitin says consciousness illumines itself, no, not at all. See the subtle logic it says, Nagarjuna uses. Um, consciousness reveals the world, you are saying, um, but the existence of consciousness is revealed by itself, not really. It's only when the consciousness shines on the mind and activities of the mind that not only the mind is known, the consciousness itself is also known. So both are rising and falling together. In deep sleep, there is no consciousness. No matter how much you Advaitins may argue after waking up, I was in deep sleep, I slept happily. All those things you are giving now after the mind is working. 
it's when the mind is not working there is no proof of consciousness and there is no proof of the mind also both rise and fall together then non reciprocity um so mutual dependence like we saw in the father and son case it means the thing is false pramana produces prameya the source of knowledge produces knowledge if you think it's like a father and son but they become mutually dependent uh, his commentator nagarjuna's commentator chandrakirti uses a nice example which you don't find in vedanta bales of hay uh, which are tied together sheaves of hay they are leaning on each other they are not dependent on one thing they are not leaning on the ground they all lean on mutually on each other they are supporting each other uh, so they are mutually supporting and if you remove one the other also falls so similarly consciousness and the world mutually supporting subject and object mutually supporting you cannot say subject is the ultimate reality consciousness is the ultimate reality they arise and fall together pramana prameya they rise and fall together so this was these are his techniques final word then i'll stop what does it all mean all of this so this shunyata emptiness what does it mean first option nihilism shunya means nothing nothing exists who says this most of nagarjuna's opponents they say it so even the vedanta sar we are we are studying they'll say that atma is shunya nagarjuna says atma is shunya means atma does not exist shunya means non existence now uh, most of the advaitins most of the hindu philosophers like the nayakas and the mimamsakas who engaged with the buddhists they interpreted um, the shunyavada as meaning as nihilism as nothing exists now this is a little unfair because nagarjuna has himself clearly denied that we are not saying that nothing exists so what according to nagarjuna he says shunyata means pratitya samutpada pratitya samutpada the dependent originations things originate together and fall together this happening that happens this not happening that will not happen this is the meaning of shunyata it's not nothing then if it's not nothing then what does it mean i also feel it's unfair to dismiss nagarjuna as saying that nothing exists it's a um, very Uh, i would say it's not it's a superficial position though though we cannot outright deny that they were all wrong by saying that na- uh, shunyavada means nothing um, because how is it that all of them made the same mistake kumarila bhatta shankaracharya the great nayayikas nyaya philosophers all of them are saying nagarjuna is saying that nothing exists not only that even more damaging the great buddhist philosopher vasubandhu whom we came across mind only school he also takes nagarjuna as saying that nothing exists nihilist so it is not entirely unfair to say that shunyavada means nothingness but uh, let us see the other interpretation is shunya means brahman swami saradanand ji says what we call purna they call shunya what we call full they call empty Uh, how is that possible um the gold and ornament example i gave just think about it gold in itself is empty of all ornaments what does it mean if you think about just think about gold itself is there a necklace in it is there a bracelet in it is there a ring or a tiara in it no 
if i ask you in which part of the which part of of gold is a necklace which portion of the gold is tiara nothing you can say that those are names and forms they are they are not parts whatever you touch will be gold itself it is not an uh, as such you know this part of the gold of the gold is a necklace that part of the gold is uh, a ring you cannot say that silly so gold in itself is empty of all ornaments so chunya in that sense but does that mean gold is nothing not at all gold is the only reality in all the ornaments the only reality is gold so gold is purna in that sense any other option here is one option which is unfortunately full of very fancy terms so this is uh, professor garfield whose class i took in uh, at harvard his view and he is a leading scholar of madhyamaka shunyavada in the world today his view is what is it's it's not nothing he says no that's absolutely not true and he will say swami it is not your brahman also satchidananda brahma it's not that also then what is nagarjuna trying to say what are the shunyavadis trying to say his answer is epistemic coherentism and ontological anti foundationalism what does that mean it means epistemic means pramana prameya the sources of knowledge they all work together they establish things together ultimately they are not real so eyes will establish the form and um, the with your hands you can touch that form with your nose you can smell the, form, the, the that rose with your tongue you can taste the rose water all the sense organs and their objects they give you a coherent view of reality but um, there is no underlying reality to any of it that's what he calls anti foundationalism that there is an underlying reality which is appearing to you in this way no it all comes to, example he gave two examples he gave money and harvard university he said here is harvard university which is the harvard university here this building that building are the buildings the harvard university is the website the harvard university are the students the harvard university a professor harvard university is the syllabus harvard university is the endowment harvard university is it all together harvard university is it no harvard university is just a, a what he calls a conceptual imputation a, a term which is put here and it's only in our minds that we frame we see reality as this this harvard university and apart from these things also there is no harvard university these things taken together they are not harvard university individually also they are not harvard university and apart from them them also there is no harvard university that's what he calls coherentism together you, they form a picture practically it works another example he gave is money so the dollars and the coins and the dimes and the quarters is that money so first there were dollars and quarters and dimes and then money came not at all so is the first there was money and then the dollars and the, not at all they depend on each other like the sheaves of hay of of um, chandrakirti they hang on each other but there is no underlying reality to it so what are you ultimately saying he says it's like a bottomless well <laughs> you're thrown into it and this neti neti goes on endlessly you might say that's not a very satisfactory answer ultimately is it nothing or something that he will not say so that's one option slightly unsatisfactory if you ask me what is your take on it conclusion i'll conclude here my take on it is 
that both have been misunderstood and it's both are good correctives to each other both means advaita vedanta and the shun madhyamaka shunyavada the advaita vedanta is misunderstood when it talks about brahman atman satchidananda we get the feeling that there is some such thing some ultimate reality called satchidananda most of us we get that feeling of course there is no that's a wrong way of understanding it it's like saying that um, here are all these ornaments and gold is the ultimate reality so we if somebody thinks that gold is a very nice type of ornament no wrong the opposite mistake is made when you attack shunyavada by saying it means nothing when they are denying it is neither this nor not this nor a combination of this and uh, not this nor a denial of both the chatushkoti vinirmukta tattvam so does it mean nothing no not nothing it's not nihilism then what what are they both pointing towards advaita vedanta and madhyamaka shunyavada they're pointing towards the ultimate reality which is what i like to call no thing it's not nothing nothing exists no it's not a thing also so it's no thing thing you just imagine ornament necklace so if you asking so if you are told gold is the ultimate reality now somebody says so gold must be a very nice type of ornament there is necklace ring uh, there is a bracelet and there is one more fourth type of ornament called gold which is really great type of ornament so no it's not a type of ornament it is not not so then if somebody says then gold is not there the only reality is ornament if you're saying gold is not an ornament then there is no no such thing as gold, um, gold is no no that is also not true it's not that gold is not there in fact gold is the only thing that is there so it is not a thing it is not nothing it is no thing what is that what nagarjuna calls shunya what um, we call brahman and both of us we call prapancha upashamam shivam <laughs> okay i'm done so this is just a little detour and we are back i promise i won't subject you to these things uh, after <laughs> later on uh we will stick to the text from here onwards next advaita vedanta the hero of the play will come in and demolish all these uh, objections and establish atman brahman as the ultimate reality and so on let's look at the activities going on on the chat rick says last week you said that the proponents of contradictory understandings of the self could all have been uh, could all have been enlightened understand how enlightened people could disagree about politics or not know much quantum mechanics but isn't enlightenment synonymous with self realization direct experience and intellectual understanding of the self shouldn't self realized people agree about what they have realized again yes and no yes and no um take a bracelet or take a nice necklace and um, there is somebody who loves it as a necklace and there is the goldsmith who doesn't couldn't care less about the necklace who who just cares about the gold and he's, he insists it's gold and the other person who understands that it's gold but who loves gold as the necklace insists that it's a necklace but both of them if they've truly understood they know the gold nature of that so by this i'm what i'm saying is somebody knows the ultimate reality to be satchidananda and another person also knows that 
but knows it as Vishnu or Narayana or my mother Kali. Now it might seem that the person who says it is existence absolute and consciousness absolute, infinite bliss, that guy is realized. And this guy who's saying it is my divine mother Kali with four arms, this guy has not realized it. No, it could be the exactly, they're talking about exactly the same thing. Could be. Punita ji is asking, who is negating? Ah, here is one argument which will come next time. I remember when I was studying all these things 20 years ago, our professor of Indian philosophy, Nirod Baran Chakravarti, whom I mentioned, uh, I think in my talk in, on Sunday, he was a disciple of Swami Abhedanandaji and he used to teach us Western philosophy, but he was a master of uh, Advaita Vedanta also. So I took my newfound enthusiasm for Nagarjuna. By the way, one of my masters in teachers in that training period, this Swami who was teaching us Nyaya philosophy, he nicknamed me the Shunyavadi, the emptiness guy, <laughs> sort of uh, sarcastically because I always had emptiness arguments and I was a Nagarjuna enthusiast. Imagine in the middle of, of a Hindu mon a monastery, Anyway, so I took up, took this enthusiasm to Professor Nirod Baran Chakravarti, he was a retired professor of philosophy. So I said, see, this is how you established emptiness. And your so-called consciousness, that only arises with the activity of the mind. So Nagarjuna's argument, the anti-self-reflexive argument, um, it arises with the mind and disappears with the mind. No amount of telling me that uh, no, it is just the mind which is gone and consciousness keeps on shining like the sun in, in deep darkness of space. This blank, this darkness because there's nothing to reflect consciousness. All of those are, you're just arguing like that. But experience shows that whenever there is the mind, there is consciousness. Whenever there's an object, there's a subject. Without the object, no subject. Without the subject, no object. And they arise and fall. So Nagarjuna's dialectic is devastating to your Advaita. What would you say? Shunya, void is the ultimate reality. I still remember till today, 21 years ago, the old gentleman, he's shorter than me, but he had big eyes. He glared at me and he says, who sees the Shunyam? Who is the witness of the Shunya? What does that mean? This void, this emptiness is revealed to what or whom? What is the, what is the pramana for the emptiness? Immediately our answer, the Nagarjunian answer will be that uh, why can it not be that the, the one who realizes the emptiness is also empty? You see, the subject-object thing, the empty subject realizes in the empty object, realizes the emptiness of the object and realizes the emptiness of the subject. But there is a fatal mistake here. If you push further, you realize the emptiness of the world. Fine, Advaita Vedanta is fine with it. You realize the emptiness of the self. Ah, but what do you mean by the self? If you say, I realize the emptiness of body, fine. I realize the emptiness of mind, fine. I realize my own emptiness. I, the witnessing consciousness, realize my own emptiness. You are violating Nagarjuna's own principle of self anti-self-reflexivity. Nagarjuna is finally caught. <laughs> the... Um, the, the most evasive and subtlest of philosophers is finally caught in his own trap.
and it's not a trap he would want to avoid. I have a feeling he was pointing at this all along. That's what some of the some of the Tibetan lamas would say. Not all. Uh, they would say Nagarjuna is actually pointing at this this ultimate reality. They call it the clear light of the void, the witness of emptiness, consciousness which illumines the emptiness of the universe. Even the apparent self also, the jiva. Jiva is also empty. Advaita agrees. Jiva is also empty. The sentient being is also empty. Only thing is, the, uh, the Shunyavada, Madhyamaka Shunyavada, Tibetan Buddhists, would not want you to say it. The moment you say it, they say, the moment you put it into language, consciousness illumining the emptiness, you're already making a mistake. And that language can be cut down again by Nagarjuna's dialectic. So don't say it. Realize it. Fine. We are fine with that. Vidyaranya Swami in Panchadashi, he attacks the, and the emptiness people sharply, the usual thing that the emptiness means nothingness. And finally, he says, but if you say by emptiness, you mean the witness of this emptiness. Welcome to our camp. That's what we are saying also. We are saying if emptiness is another name for Maya, there is no objective reality. Uh, and you're talking about the absolute. That's exactly what we are saying. And uh, Vidyanya Swami in Panchadashi is also humorous. In one place he says, a debate requires two positions, Siddhanta and Purvapaksha, the uh, debater and the, 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 you know, the one who's attacking. Now I'm here, I'm championing Advaita, but you are empty by your own philosophy. You don't exist. So I, don't, I can't debate you. <laughs> so he's just being sort of tongue in cheek there. Then, so Punitaji, subtle and direct point, very good. We'll see more of that uh, next time. Um, if everything is shunya, does it not create a feeling of non repercussion of any good or bad deed? How does the regular individual process it? They will say just the opposite. They will say karma works because everything is shunya. If you had been an, un they will say exactly the opposite. The Buddhists, they do that. If you say, Good and bad, karma, how will karma work if everything is empty? You say karma works only because things are empty. Um, if, if you were a permanent, unchanging self, then karma couldn't affect you. They will say exactly the same thing. How will karma work if you are a permanent, unchanging self? Bad karma will not give you suffering. Good karma will not give you happiness. Karma will not work if you don't change. So karma works only if emptiness is work is true. But one big point I must men mention, Nagarjuna was very big on the two truths. The two truths, Samritti Satyam, Paramartha Satyam. There are two levels of truths. Nagarjuna says in the Mula Madhyamaka Karika, the Buddha taught two truths. Samritti Satyam, which is transactional, the, the relative truth, the world. Yes, there are fathers and sons. Yes, fire illumines a pot. Yes, people walk. I'm not denying any of that. And ultimately, no, none of it is real. So ultimate truth, um, relative truth. Samritti Satyam, Paramartha Satyam. Exactly like Advaita Vedanta, um, Gaudapada 500 years after that and Shankaracharya and others. Vyavaharika Satyam, Paramarthika Satyam. To explain any kind of absolutistic philosophy like this, you need two levels of truth. 
So karma, karma will be samritti satyam, vyavaharika satyam. And Nagarjuna will insist, it's my theory of emptiness alone which makes karma possible. Dimitri says, is this a way to show that Maya is illusion, Brahman cannot be described by words? Exactly. Exactly. If you want to reduce all of which we talked today, is he talking about Maya? You'd say yes. That would be my answer to that. Yes. They don't use that word, but that's what they're talking about. I asked Professor Garfield that the sense I'm getting is what I am receiving today as a finished product from Advaita Vedanta. What we are reading here 1400, 1500 years ago, 2000 years ago, three, four centuries before Gaudapada, it's like visiting the construction site. You are living in this fantastic, comfortable apartment. But when you see this, you see the huge mess that's all around, an enormous activity that's going on, a change which is happening day after day. So it's the construction site of the finished philosophy which we see as Advaita Vedanta today and the Tibetan Buddhist synthesis of mind only and emptiness today. And Professor Garfield said, yeah, you could look at it that way. All these things which are going on, this, all these fights, that was the construction taking place. Today, what we are reading as, you know, like a finished text like Advais or similar texts uh, Tibetan lamas would be reading today, they are like the finished product, the comfortable apartment you get to live in after all these fights have been gone through. Uh, Vishwanathan is asking, if he denies everything, then how is this philosophy beneficial to aspirants? If an aspirant ex accepts the claim that nirvana is shunyam, then is there any hope of transcending suffering? He would say exactly the opposite. It's only when you accept that there's no ultimate reality called nirvana, then there's no ultimate reality called samsara. There's no ultimate reality called um, suffering. And that will be the escape from suffering. Otherwise, if nirvana is a real thing, which is going to start, it will come to an end. If it's a real thing, then your suffering was also real. Then samsara was also real. And then from a real, there is no escape. So he will say that. And similar arguments you find 500 years later in Gaudapada. Does the consciousness of Chama's hard problem correspond more to ahankara rather than pure consciousness, Atman? The hard problem, what it feels like from within, has two aspects, as Girish has noted carefully. The two aspects. Feels, first person is consciousness. It's a reflected consciousness in the ahankara. But feels like, feels like something. Already the object is present. So in first person experience, both are there together. And Gaurapada, Nagarjuna would immediately, he's an expert at finding tension. He knows wherever there is tension, he knows he can break it. He will use it, his, this fourfold logic, the tetralemma, Chatushkoti, to attack it. Kiran says, is Shunya the same as Mithya or Vedanta? Both. It is the same, according to Nagarjuna, it is the same as what Vedanta later, or Nagarjuna never said that, but it is the same as what Vedanta later calls Mithya. It's also the same as what Vedanta calls uh, Brahman, Satyam. That's a very interesting thing. For Nagarjuna, Shunya is the ultimate reality. And the world is Shunya in the sense of empty, unreal, Mithya. The ultimate reality is Shunyam because it is empty of the world. The gold example I gave, notice gold is Shunya of all ornaments. Gold in itself does not have any ornaments. But it is not uh, unreal. It is, not, um, it is the only reality in fact.
Nagarjuna in a beautiful verse in Mula Madhyamaka Karika, he warns that uh, Shunyata, do not misunderstand Shunyata as nothingness. He says, if you misunderstand Shunyata, um, he says, the solution for the sufferings of the world is Shunyata, emptiness. But those who take the Shunyata itself to be a reality, for them there is no help. You are trapped in samsara. You can be rescued by shunyata. But if you catch on to shunyata itself as a reality, for you there is no help. You are finished. He says this. And then he goes on and gives an example. Yatha sarpo durgrihita. Catching a snake at the wrong end. Misunderstanding shunyata is like that. Misunderstanding emptiness is like catching a poisonous snake at the wrong end. You are going to get bitten. And there will be the end of your spiritual life. Alpana uh, says, all this makes sense after self-realization, but what does he suggest us to do or think? You know, this is what I had thought. I still remember in Belludmat as a novice, very excited about Nagarjuna, telling another novice, we're sitting for dinner at night, and I was, I'm sure I, I made uh, I, 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 like a nuisance of myself going on and on about Nagarjuna. And I was talking about Nagarjuna, and this other brahmachari, novice, very perceptive. He said, it sounds like a madman who's climbed to the top of the house and then he tosses away the ladder and he says, come, jump, come, come up here. So yes, that's what I, it feels like. He has attained the reality and he's telling you as it is, but how do you go up there? But if you actually go to Tibetan Buddhism, they have a wealth of techniques. <laughs> if you take up the techniques, you will come to this realization. But the techniques are all Repetition of mantra, of meditation, of mindfulness, uh, yantras are there, endless rituals are there. It's just like devotional Hinduism in many ways. It's just like Patanjali yoga. All of those things are there, the techniques, but it will go to that level. Um, Shunyavada, Shravani says, Shunyavada reminds me of Ajatavada, yet they are not the same. It reminds you of Ajatavada, it reminds me of Ajatavada also. And many, many great philosophers, it reminds them of Ajatavada. Like Vidushekar um, Bhattacharya, whom I mentioned, he is notorious for saying that Gaudapada borrowed everything from Nagarjuna. So, Nikhilanandaji, in his translation of, Mandhim, um, of the Mandukya Karika, uh, he spends a lot of energy in refuting that. But there's no reason to refute. A great teacher in India wrote to me last year saying that we are running into a trouble that uh, clearly Advaita seems to have borrowed a lot from uh, the, uh, the Shunyavada Madhyamaka. Now, it's a problem only if you think it's a problem. In those days, all these schools interacted intensely with each other and they absorbed each other's DNA. And so the ultimate system, which you get in Advaita Vedanta, is fully based on Upanishads. It's an Upanishadic Siddhanta, conclusion of the Upanishadic teachings. But a lot of terminology, a lot of argumentation, a lot of techniques, many of the techniques which Nagarjuna used to defeat the Nyaya school in Vigraha Vyabhartini, almost verbatim Shankara uses to attack the Nyaya school. <laughs> so it is, it, is part of, uh, it is part of the DNA of Advaita now. Um, what is the purpose of sadhana according to Nagarjuna? It is to remove the error, just like Advaita Vedanta. Maya, the term they don't use, but they, they accept the same concept. Um, Shubrata is saying, looks like Gaudapada incorporated Buddha's 
Shunyavada into his Karika. That's the view of many uh, scholars. Uh, at least the approach, the methodology, terminology, and logic is very Buddhistic. If you read Madhyamaka Karika and Mandukya Karika together, you cannot escape the, the echoes. They're clearly different. Uh, one is Upanishad, they can talk about an ultimate reality. The other one denies, but the, the terms, the techniques, the logical arguments, they seem like mirror images of each other. Rama says very similar to Gaudapada, no bondage, no liberation, no karma, no causality. Absolutely. Niant says, do Advaita and Shunyavada agree on neither annihilation nor eternal, since both say the truth is beyond time? Correct. One might think Advaita Vedanta is talking about an eternal reality, something that persists through time. Not really. Advaita Vedanta says Brahman is eternal, Brahman is all-pervading. But that's only, it's all-pervading when you accept space, then Brahman is all-pervading. Brahman is eternal only when you accept time. Then it's all-pervading, and then it's eternal. But both space and time are Maya. Apart from space and time, what is the meaning of saying all-pervading and eternal? Not at all, it does not mean anything. That's why Nagarjuna is right, right, is thoroughgoing. Any positive statement you make about the ultimate reality will be taking some support of something false, something within Maya. Otherwise, language cannot work. Shiva Priya is saying, goal is to separate mind from Atman. Yes, but that is a Sankhyan idea, separation of the mind and the Atman. That approach um, Shunyavada does not use. Krishnamurti says, ultimate origination of Pramana, can't Shruti be cited? Knowledge originated from Brahman itself? Yes, that's a dualistic Hindu view. Shruti is cited, but then, then it will not work with the Buddhists. They don't accept the Shruti. Um, epistemic coherentism sounds like Satasat Anirvachaniyam. Yes, correct again. All right. Peter says Shunyam Adhyatmikam. Correct, very beautiful. Shunyam Adhyatmikam Pashya, Pashya Shunyam uh, Bahirgatam, Navidyate Sopi Kaschid, um, To Bhavayato Shunyatam, Yo Bhavayati Shunyam. Where is this from, Peter? Uh, yeah, uh, Namaskar, it's, uh, it's quoted by Vidu Shankara Bhattacharya, and he, he says it's from Majamaka Vratti by Chandra Kirti. Uh, uh, it's I quoted see. by Dula Pusa, I think, in, in a book from the 19th century. Right, right. But I believe it's quite a famous uh, shlokam in, in uh, Tibetan Buddhism itself. Because I heard, it from, I heard it from a Tibetan Buddhist also. All right, right. Because there is a corresponding verse in Mandukya Karika. Yeah, and, and that's exactly when he quotes it, right? So in, 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 in Matacharya's uh, book on, on Gaudapada, he gives it in a footnote under the Tatham, uh, you know, the, it's at the end of the second or third chapter, right? The last verse. Right. Tattvam adhyatmikam dishtva. Tattvam dishtva. So, uh, in fact, that's, it's fascinating. Not just the Mula Madhimaka Karika, but some others, like the Lankavatara Sutra and others. If you read uh, some of the, the Mahayana texts, along with the Mandukya Karika, it's, it's an eerie feeling, like you're seeing a ghost double. Just one word changed here and there, but it's almost like an echo of the same verse. Swami Vivekananda, he said, the Buddha was a sannyasi of the Vedanta. 
which sounds absolutely contrary and counterintuitive. But when you come to something like this, it doesn't sound so counterintuitive at all. All right. I'm glad. I hope you liked it. I enjoyed myself. <laughs> so <laughs> next time we'll be back on course and we'll see what the Advaitin has to say to all of this. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ramakrishna Rupa Namastu